Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionised over 20 million bedtimes, with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cosy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The education culture war is also raging right now with discussions on everything from how we teach history, gender and sexuality, and race. But while some of these discussions have been very loud and contentious, a new poll says that for most parents, it's really more background noise. Majorities of parents across party lines say that many of the issues being taught are done in a way that align with their personal values. For more on how a very vocal minority is driving the discussion around this, we'll speak to Anya Kamenetz education correspondent at NPR. Well, we had been covering the culture wars and really before they came to K-12 education, we saw a lot of this in the university setting. So uh, what's happened is there's a very kind of successful um, network uh, on the right wing that funds sort of speech around uh, saying that people are doing these uh, shocking things when it comes to either race, um, what they call erroneously critical race theory, um, sexuality, gender, as you mentioned. Um, and what they're implying all the time is that this is like a silent majority of parents feels the way that they do. This is traditional values. This is real America. So what we decided to do was survey a nationally representative uh, group of American parents. And what we found was that really it surprised even the pollsters that there's not a lot of partisan division over public schools. Most parents Republican and Democrat are very happy with their kids own school. They feel pretty well informed about the curriculum and they don't have a lot of super strong feelings, even when you go issue by issue. And that's totally contrary to what we're hearing out there. As I mentioned, you know, this loud group of people is getting a lot of attention. And, you know, you see crazy videos of school board fights and parents just yelling at teachers and school board members. And it really kind of skews the picture of what we're seeing, it seems like. So here's an interesting one. Let's talk about some of the findings. And this one uh, specifically with when it comes to the pandemic, 47% mm -hmm. of parents said that the pandemic did not disrupt their kids' education. So that's pretty at odds with what we're hearing from a lot of teachers who said, you know, as kids came back from remote learning, they saw a lot of stuff, uh, kids behind in certain subjects, uh, the emotional maturity of certain kids not there. But a lot of parents in a lot of situations say it didn't disrupt them that much. 
Yeah, I got to say that was a head scratcher for us as well, because like you, we've been tracking all this information on kids' attendance, the, the school that they missed, the test scores, the failure rates. You know, I, I think that there's obviously a tendency towards optimism for parents. And, and what we saw was from 2021 to 2022, a jump in parents saying, yeah, um, you know, my kid, maybe there was a disruption if you really question them. Sure. I mean, things were disrupted, but they seem to be getting back on track now. You know, there's still a very strong minority of ki- of parents, um, at least one in three, who say my, my child's behind my child. And we had a striking actually three quarters who said my child would benefit from some kind of counseling. So it's not that they're not acknowledging the problems, but I think what's even stronger to say is that, you know, we, we've had a few months at least of, of relative normalcy and parents are looking for the good. Yeah. And I think that's an important point because I think the rebound, right? Now that we are going, uh, the kids are going back to school in person, maybe they're seeing a quicker rebound. So they think, you know, hey, this is, it wasn't so bad after all. And, and obviously, you know, when we get into lower economic levels, uh, we know that those kids were impacted a lot worse. So yeah, I mean, this, but we're talking in broad generalities with these polls most of the time. So just an interesting point there. As far as where education figures for parents, it's a top three concern. You know, they're looking at inflation, they're looking at crime and gun violence, and then it's education. That's how important it is. But over 80% said that their teachers have done the best they can and they think the schools have done well with the pandemic too. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's funny, um, this is a long time trend in polling where there's kind of this disconnect between the abstract or the national level and then your own personal level. Um, A lot of people compare this to members of Congress. If you look at the ratings of, you know, Congress as a whole, they're kind of um, in the dumps most of the time. But when people ask about my own member of Congress, you know, they, they get pretty good ratings. And the same thing is true of my kid's teacher. You know, we had 88% in our poll who said, my kid's teachers, they did the best they possibly could given the circumstances. So it's a lot of goodwill. And again, this is bipartisan goodwill towards the school that, that in fact people's children attend. Yeah. And that's an interesting one too, because I'm, you know, I'm willing to bet we're talking about how this is a little different from some of the bigger national conversations, right? These flashpoint issues, but when you do boil down to it, you know, a lot of these schools are smaller, are small communities, really. So parents do know their teachers, parents, uh, you know, they get more involved. And so they're probably a little more in line with each other than than people might think when when we talk about the bigger issues. And so let's con- uh, let's talk about some of these controversial things. 18% said that uh, the school taught gender and sexuality issues in a way that clashed with their family values. 19% about race and racism and 14% about U.S. history. So these small, smaller numbers are saying that it's actually clashing with their family values. That's exactly right. But you know what's so interesting about the way that we phrase that question is that, um, you know, your family's values might be anywhere on the spectrum. And so there's actually a similar number of parents who think that the school is not um, not quote unquote woke enough as there are parents who think it's going too far. So we actually spoke to parents on both sides of that divide and parents, you know, we talked to a native American dad in Texas and he's like, I want the school to dive deeper. I want them to give me, you know, give my kid the, the history of racism in America and they're whitewashing it. Um, I, we talked to a mom who was like, look, my kindergartner, we have transgender fa- friends and family and I want 
the kindergarten teacher to talk about it because, you know, I don't want to be the only one who is trying to introduce this topic. So, you know, as much as parents are hearing so loudly, um, as much as rather teachers are hearing so loudly from the kind of minority that are cultural conservatives, there's also this minority um, that is uh, potentially ahead of where the schools uh, are trying to go on progressive issues. And and on the other side, it was interesting because you spoke to a parent who said, I don't want a lot of this stuff being discussed. I hope we can do enough counter education at home to yes. counteract that. I mean, that's just an interesting uh, uh, way to put that, really, that you're sending the kids to school to get an education there. But at the same time, you as a parent are going to start teaching things contrary to that. I, I guess, uh, yeah, obviously it has to align with your family values and all that. But uh, just an interesting way to phrase that from a parent. It is so interesting. And I was really glad that 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 parent shared their point of view. They are the type of parent who's, you know, offended by discussion of preferred pronouns and that kind of thing. Um, The bottom line is we have public schools for a reason. They're a public institution where everybody goes and, you know, nine out of 10 Americans go to public schools. So, um, you know, that's really the situation that we're in where uh, people have to somehow come to a consensus and inhabit one America. And this public school classroom is one of the very few places left (laughs) where that actually is happening. So the fact that parents are on both sides of controversial topics, I think it's it's sort of a mark in the column of public schools that they're really doing their best to navigate these very treacherous waters. What about when we start bringing the conversation about parents' rights, parental rights in education, right? We're seeing things play out in Florida, in Virginia. Republicans are setting these up uh, as political issues, especially coming into the midterms. You know, they're banking on these being uh, uh, vote getters for them. And that's why we're having these conversations. That's why we're hearing from these loud groups talking about it. Um, So how did parents feel about this part? You know, because the whole point of this is that a lot of parents are generally happy with what's going on. You know, they're not paying attention to the noise. But when it comes to voting issues now and the, the larger discussion, how do the parents feel about that? You know, again, it's like we, you know, hear from the loudest, right? We had a very large chunk of respondents to our poll that said they didn't know um, really what was happening as far as the how the school tackled either gender or history or race, racism. They're just, it's just not top of mind for them right now. They're really much more concerned about, you know, their kids' well-being um, and learning potentially as they should be. That doesn't change the fact that this can be a very potent issue, especially um, depending on how polarized, you know, uh, politics tend to be in in different places around the country where this turns out the base that gets a certain percentage of people very passionate, um, you know, and and there is sort of been a drift in other polls where you see that parents are not so sure that Democrats are the ones that can most, um, you know, most safeguard their children's education. And that's kind of a new thing since the pandemic. So, you know, I think there's as long as this continues to be a potent political issue, there's going to be people beating the drum, even though it doesn't necessarily represent what most parents think. Anya Kamenetz, education correspondent at NPR. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for taking the time. It was great talking to you. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Finally for this week, Gen Z doesn't really seem like they want to work, and they're broadcasting it over social media. Many have said that they don't have a dream job because they don't dream of labor. The past few years of the pandemic has changed many attitudes when it comes to the work-life balance, and young people entering the workforce at this time don't want to get bogged down in toiling away with nothing to show for it. For more on all this, we'll speak to Terry Wynn, reporter at Vox. So I was really interested in this popularity of, as you mentioned, kind of this seeming like anti-work ideology online or people proclaiming that they aren't happy with their jobs, they're quitting their jobs, they don't dream of labor, uh, things of that nature. And whether if people are just talking the talk or if they're actually, you know, quitting their jobs or it's if this is really having a change in the American workplace. And what I found was that a lot of this often has kind of arisen out of discussion 
discontent during the pandemic. And that's led a lot of people to reassess whether their jobs are fulfilling, whether they're being paid enough, whether there are certain circumstances at work that they can, that they're okay with and what they're not okay with. And so um, with most Gen Zers um, and millennials, kind of young people in general, they're not really afraid to publicly quit their jobs or put their employers on blast. But the reality is they really still have to work um, to earn a living. We all do. Yeah, and, and we've seen some of that, right, to, to that point. A long time ago, you know, you usually didn't talk bad about an employer publicly, privately, in your private circles all, all day long, right? That's how we vent about things. But we had kind of seen this difference in, especially on social media, a lot of TikTok videos and whatnot, just people putting their former employers on blast. It's almost like they didn't really care what the future holds. And, you know, we've been hearing all these stories, you know, employers, check your social media, all this stuff. You shouldn't make yourself seem like an unseemly prospect. Uh, But even that started changing a little bit. Yeah, what's interesting is I spoke uh, to a sociologist, actually, who studies um, labor, and she mentioned that while, you know, a lot of younger workers have this reputation for job hopping, for kind of being kind of careless about uh, leaving their jobs very publicly, there's also, it kind of holds in line with this erosion in the employer and employee contract. So a lot of employees are entering these roles understanding or with the knowledge that they're not going to stay here for very long at all. Like they're not going to go into a company and stay there for 10, 20 years or their entire life, which is something that, you know, their parents or grandparents might have done with an employer. And so that relationship has also really changed. And a lot of employers are more comfortable letting employees go. And so that kind of contributes a little bit to this, you know, I don't know if animosity is a little too strong because not everyone is putting their employer on blast on social media. But it certainly contributes to this like overwhelming attitude. Uh, tell me a little bit more about this attitude from younger people, because I, and you know we we go to social media a lot. Obviously, we refer to TikTok. They have this hashtag quit talk when people talk about quitting their jobs and all that. But what are the aspirations of some of these young people? Because to the point of some of this, right, it's not wanting to work. Uh, I guess there was a people saying they wanted to be a rich housewife is the goal. Uh, you know, I want to be an influencer. I I don't want to work. Yeah, so I I really think a better way to think about that is that young people want jobs that are better suited to them rather than kind of going in and having to hustle for like certain benefits or a position that they feel um, that, you know, caters to their skill set. So I spoke to a few young people and they mentioned that they want more, you know, work from home flexibility or they want an employer who allows them to, you know, work on their own hours and, you know, have a little more um, choice over certain projects or things they care about. I mean, I I think it's not entirely accurate to say that they don't want to work. It's kind of they're more particular about the work and the time they're contributing to their employers. Another thing that was interesting when I was reporting this out was that there was this trend of people trying to break into other industries that might be better paying or have better benefits or um, more flexibility. Um, An example of this was the break into tech TikTok trend, where people would kind of document their efforts to go from, say, like a customer service job to, you know, working for a tech company and kind of the skill sets and the additional hours they put in, like after their customer service job to get into this new role where they believe that they can, you know, have a more fulfilled life. And so in that way, it doesn't seem too far off from kind of work is still a person's identity. They just want to be in a better, higher paying role, which is true for most people. 
when you're talking about these tech jobs, they need so many people, obviously, in a variety of different positions. Even those employers have started not using college degrees as a as a absolute requirement for employment. They're opening their pool of candidates to a lot more people in that sense of things. So you mentioned kind of uh, this notion, right, that young Gen Zers are job hopping. They're moving around too much, but employers play a part in that also. You know, when they need to cut costs, they start cutting people out. They start firing people, especially throughout the pandemic. Uh, you know, we went through this uh, where I worked this whole period of everybody was furloughed for a moment because, you know, the company wasn't making as much. Then those furloughs got extended. Then they became permanent, you know. So what does the employee do at that point? Well, you have to start hopping around. Yeah, I also think that the economic circumstances, um, you know, of this current moment, kind of discussions about student loan debt, growing wealth inequality during the pandemic and wage stagnation over decades. I think a lot of young people are aware of this. They feel that things aren't changing and haven't changed for a very long time. And so as a result, I think they're more comfortable using um, more anti-capitalist language and being more politically forward and kind of what they want to see change. But I, I don't think the attitude is totally um, abandonment of work because that's financially impossible right. for most people. Like the country still has to go to work. But it's just, I think, an accumulation of all these different factors that have led people to feel just really, really frustrated and the first thing they can do about it is really to like post it on, about it on social media. You also raise a very interesting point in all of this of, uh, you know, a lot of these younger people that are talking about this work-life balance, they're very new to the workforce. <laughs> you know, a lot of them haven't gone through the many years of soul-crushing job hours and whatnot, right? They, they want to get in on the, on the ground floor and just be at the top. And there's a, a local radio uh, station where I live uh, where one of the hosts coined a term called the dues gap. Like you got to pay your dues. And, you know, a lot of times younger workers haven't paid those dues. So in the conversations that you've had with a lot of people, how do they feel about that? I mean, you know, you, there's kind of this sense of you have to work your way up in a lot of ways. Right. I do think that there is this agreement that you have to work your way up to like middle management and management. Like I, I don't think people come in expecting to be given, you know, a high level of C-suite job. But I do think the desire is for every worker to feel respected in their role. And I spoke to this 27-year-old who was based in North Carolina, and she said that she was just really frustrated that it felt like her boss didn't respect her because she was, you know, a younger person and felt like she wanted to work from home and could still do her job but couldn't, you know, do that. And so I think um, these it's hard to generalize in these situations, but overall I think the attitude is that young people want to feel empowered and respected in their jobs, and, you know, I, I don't think that they want just a shortcut to the top. You mentioned in the article as well, you know, it's super easy to group people by their ages and, and how they feel. That's why, you know, we're talking about Generation Z, mm -hmm. you know, younger millennials and all that. But a probably better way to do it would be when they entered the workforce. And, you know, we're coming off the pandemic. A lot of people going, uh, you know, millennials go going through uh, recessions and then going into the pandemic and, and you know, high inflation and all that stuff. This is what influences their attitudes about work, right? And when you talk about social media, people finding common ground there, you know, that's how these attitudes start persisting. And, and that's why we have these young people from the onset really... I guess, trying to put their future in, in, uh, in the best way possible. You know, I want to have that from the very beginning. Right. Yeah. I, I also feel like when I was writing this piece, I really tried to source with the nuance and realize that there are factors like 
you know, education level, social class, race and gender that like factor in all the reasons why people are in the labor market are working or are struggling to get a job or getting promoted. So there's like a lot of different factors at play here. But yes, yeah, so the sociologist I spoke with said that entering the labor market is kind of the economic circumstance of how someone enters the labor market will shape how they feel about work. And for the past you know, decade, um, members of Gen Z and millennials have witnessed basically like two recessions from back to back. And that's a very different labor market experience than what older generations have experienced. Terry Wynn, reporter at Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes, with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cozy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.